What's good, people? It's your boy CZ here, and this is an episode of the Hybrid Club. I hope all is good. You know, it's find me on the socials at the Hybrid Club and at CSAs, C A S E S A Y S. Do get in contact. Um, let us know how you're doing, what you're interested in, anything you want to talk about. Um, but of course, we are very much here to talk about the Arsenal. Now, look, last week against Villa, we got back to basics. This week, we went back-to-back with the wins. 1-0, three points, on a away win in the Premier League, which is not a bad return for a Saturday afternoon. Now, I managed to catch most of the games, uh, most of the game, which in, in sort of a very patchy fashion. Um, it's still genuinely despicable that in the UK, you cannot watch every Premier League game in one place or another. I mean, there is Prime, BT Sport, Sky Sports. There are multiple places, multiple subscriptions where people are paying hundreds of pounds a year. And still there are some games that you can't find. But I've got family abroad who can watch every Premier League game, regardless of the time it's shown. I won't get into the um, you know the ins and outs of the 3 p.m. blackout and all of that, but I just want to make that point that in 2023, it's still ridiculous that there are still some Premier League games that in the UK you cannot watch. Nonetheless, I managed to find um, the ability to to watch uh, most of the game, um, though I spent um, some time in a conference for the better part of the earlier portion of the day in relation to um, one of my businesses. And it was one of those conferences where the speaker takes about seven hours to tell you something that they could have told you in one hour and spends the rest of the time trying to sort of stir up the crowd into a frenzy so he can upsell them at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think you know the type of conference I'm talking about. Um, and look, while I admired this individual's personal story and understand the reasons for the sort of overly aggrandized approach to public speaking, it really does bore my piss a bit when you take me, you know, you take five hours of my time, six hours, seven hours to tell me something you could have told me in an hour, all with the purpose of trying to, you know, convince people to pay thousands of pounds for a course where you go into more detail about something that you've kind of just summarized for them. Um, anyway, my personal feelings aside, one thing that got me thinking during this conference was something he said about control. Um, he was speaking about a particular deal he did some years back. Uh, and he was speaking about how when you're trying to achieve ambitious targets, having a group you can work with to achieve those targets will make the sort of the low points sting a lot less and you can recover a lot quicker. You know, like if you get knocked back or rejected, having a group of people, having a team you collaborate with and work with can kind of keep you all up and keep you all focused on the target and you can shake off the losses and you don't get as many scars and that kind of thing um and you know i'm a consultant and and sort of work with companies for companies and then you know work for my own and there is a difference when you're working by yourself and working as part of a team there definitely is a difference in how you deal with rejection or disappointment for sure um but he went on to talk about the degree to which you can't control someone's responses in a negotiation, but you can influence the tone, the temperature, and the overarching direction of the negotiation based on preparation and confidence. Um, now, not least because this whole thing was taking place a few hours before kickoff, um, but by this point, 
it got me thinking about um, Arsenal. There's a degree to which our recent run of results prior to the Villa game, um, that where we started to lose, you know, drop some points, was due to a loss of control. We couldn't do what we needed to do in the way we need to do it, and it cost us some points. You know, there's the Brentford game where they might feel as though they drop points. You know, there's the Everton game. We, of course, know what happened there. Even the City game, to a degree, with the individual errors and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, all of that, I think, in one way or another, can be attributed to a loss of control. However, you know, after the win against United, I think... Um, one thing happened, well, a few things happened, but one thing happened after winning against United, I think we got perceived differently in the league. Um, I think teams started to see us as a, as the team to beat. Everyone was waiting for us to slip up, you know, they're waiting for us to crumble, to fold, they're waiting for, you know, I know the young players to get tired or they're waiting for us to, to you know, yeah, they're just waiting for us to fold. Um, so now not only are we the team to beat, but teams are starting to recognise how dangerous we are. So they change how they play. Um, they realise they can't kick us off the pitch like they used to. So now they're falling into that low block. Um, they might try and compete in the air or take advantage of, you know, the gaps we leave in behind our half spaces, um, you know, try and force errors, set pieces, but they're not trying to compete with us and they can't kick us off the pitch. Um, so for me... The loss of control has meant that issues we used to be able to deal with, we haven't been dealing with well. And there are new issues that we're facing that we didn't have to face before, or at least not to the extent where they're facing them now. Um, and that's why the Villa win was so great. Other than the, you know, the, the couple of goals that they got and the way they got them, um, we got back to winning. And we did that by going back to basics eventually. Um, so in this game, I really want us, wanted to see us take back control, impose our football, cut out the mistakes, be brave, have the courage to play in their spaces and, you know, find the space in between the lines, playing between the lines, as well as going on the outside and, and, and taking long shots as well. But, you know, I really want us to see us take control of the ball, keep it moving fast, accurate passes, keep the pressure up. Um, in short, take the prep we would have done in the week and have the courage to play our football, take back control, dominate the game and win. And for me, this was by all accounts the perfect game to do that. Leicester, you know, have been pretty poor defensively. Um, is that the police? Okay, fair enough. Um, Leicester have been pretty poor defensively, um, but they have a good attack. So it's the perfect chance for us to practice shutting down a team with a decent attack who have the tools to exploit our perceived weaknesses while we are able to get an experience breaking down a deep block. Now, whether or not that's Leicester actually, you know, purposely playing a deep block or us forcing them into a deep block with the quality of our football, either way, it will give us experience to do it, but to do so against a team who maybe don't have the discipline to play one as effectively as other teams might. So it's a bit of a warm up particularly ahead of the games against Everton and Bournemouth. And these are teams who are very well suited to playing in a deep block, as we found out against Everton a few weeks back. Um, so it's sort of a, a good warm-up game in that way. Uh, fortunately for us, Martinelli got an early goal in the second half, which was enough to give us our second um, away win in a row. And we definitely dominated. Um, it was a great day. 
I genuinely was. There are going to be games like this, and you could probably argue that other than a couple of games, almost all of the games we play are going to be like this to one degree or another. Teams are going to try and limit us to minimal amounts of shots, minimal amount of space in the final third. We're going to have to break teams down, find angles, and games are going to be won by very narrow margins. If we want to achieve something special this season, that is our reality. For this game, the lineup put up a you know an interesting twist, as it were. Um, news broke just a little bit before um, in 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 the morning in the run up to the game that Enketia might have either had a little bit of a knock or a little bit of fatigue. Not sure exactly, but that Trossard may be starting instead of him. And I think this is something a lot of us have been curious about. Eddie's done incredibly well, and I know there's been a lot of talk about him and whether or not he's good enough and blah, 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 and that always seems to be the conversation around Eddie when he hasn't scored for a few games. But considering his history here, um, I think it's somewhat unfair. I think he's done really, really well since he's come in. He's played every single game, save for the the last one. Um, you know, he's started every single game since the World Cup. Um you know, so we're talking Boxing Day right up until the end of end of Feb. Um, and you've got to remember, and this is something I really want people to think about when they think about Eddie and his um, time at Arsenal. You, you really have to think about the odds that Eddie beat to get here. And I'm not going to belabor the point on this. Um, the sheer number of people who form part of any one team's academy in any one season go back and try to calculate how many players since the start of the Premier League era have come through the Arsenal Academy, made it into the first team, played as many games for the men's team as Eddie has, and also won a trophy. You're going to see a very, 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 very tiny list of people who fit that criteria. Eddie has beaten the odds to get to this point. That means there is talent there. Um, so I'm not as down on Eddie as some people are, but I do think that it's, um, an interesting time to take a look at Trossard, not just because Eddie can't play every single game, 90 minutes. Um, although that's a good enough reason in of itself. I think the reason it's also a good time to kind of look at Trossard in this position is for two other reasons. One, he's probably the closest thing we have in our squad to a Gabriel Jesus regen. Now, obviously not in terms of ability, but his talent for being able to control the ball in tight spaces, um, play between the lines, receive his ball, re- receive the ball with his back to goal, hold it up, um, you know, go inside and outside, play off his man. I think there are lots of aspects to Trossard's game that really suits playing at a nine or a false nine in the way that we need to be able to help counteract uh, deep blocks uh, and and low blocks that we're going to be playing against. Um, And the other reason is that Jesus is a week, two weeks, three weeks back from being able to start for Arsenal. So having a player who can come in and replicate some of what Jesus gives us, maybe not to the quality or the intensity that he does, but replicate some of what Jesus gives us, gives us an alternative option to Eddie, 
who is more of an exclamation point at the top of an attack, though he has got a lot better in his build-up and hold-up play. Um, he's more of an exclamation point in our attack rather than someone who is necessarily connecting pieces, as it were. Um, and I think we saw in this game that having Trossard in this team suddenly made our left side look a lot more effective compared to how how it has done in recent weeks with Eddie up top. So was really excited to see how this went. And to be honest, the first half, complete and utter dominance. Complete and utter dominance. We were all over them. Um, Leicester barely had a kick, barely had a sniff. Um, the game was very much played in their half. They were very much camped in their half. We know they have a pretty effective attack, the likes of Iheanacho, Harvey Barnes. Um, we know that they have great verticality and really can come at you if you give them space. But we had them so pinned back. They were so far back. By the time they were able to get the ball and try to exploit the spaces we left in behind, they just weren't able to commit the men forward. And we had enough... Um, we had enough in our defense and in our recovery to be able to nullify uh, anything they had going on. The one time they got close was Ian Acho uh, when he was offside running through and scoring, but he was, you know, quite clearly offside. That was the closest they got. Otherwise, they didn't have a look in. Um, we were stringing together passes quite well. Again, we were having trouble once we hit zone 14, just with that final ball or making that final breakthrough, but that's to be expected when you're playing a low block. That is, you know, that's what happens when, you, when you're facing that. But our passing was really good. You saw that in the early stages. Shaka, I think, was much better today, much quicker feet, knocking it about. Um, Jorginho was pushing really high up, helping to keep the tempo of the play. Um, Martinelli maybe didn't have his best um, half of the season, but I think he, he looked a lot more lively and a lot better with Trossard to bounce off him. Um, so yeah, I thought we were doing really, really well. And to be honest, it was just a matter of time before the goal came and a goal did come, um, a cross came in, keeper punched it clear, Shaka prods the ball to Trossard by this point, the keeper's on his feet, setting himself for, to, for a save, um, Trossard's free on the edge of the area. When he receives the ball, he takes a touch, faints, um, takes another touch and just places the ball postage stamp top right-hand corner keeper was just nowhere near it had no chance of getting it fantastic goal from Trossard genuinely a fantastic goal giving him that kind of space on the edge of the area I think we saw it uh, when he was playing for Brighton to give him that kind of space on the edge of the area you're asking for it he has that kind of technique he has that kind of shot in his locker and he delivered that finish brilliantly brilliant well and to be honest none of the Leicester players were complaining none the only one who did was Ward who ran up to the referee um and so in comes the VAR check. And look, you can see White is holding the keeper's hand. He clearly is. Personally, I don't think there's enough contact there to stop the keeper going for the ball. I don't think the keeper was impeded. It's a bit like in any corner kick or any cross, there's some tussling in the box. Not every piece of literal physical contact equates to a foul. Just because they're a physical contact, it doesn't make it a foul. Um, even if uh, a, a player's got their hands on a defender's, you know, if an attacker goes for a header and got their hand on the defender's shoulder, it doesn't automatically mean the goal's disallowed. We saw one of those this weekend. Um, I don't think the contact was enough, and we know that because Ward managed to get a punch on the ball to knock it out, which is how Shaka picked up. And more to the point, there was still a lot to do before the, the goal even got scored. There was still another few phases of play. Shaka getting the ball, passing this Trossard, Trossard taking the touch, 
dropping a shoulder, fainting before um, before putting the shot in. So I, I just don't think there was enough in that incident to disallow the goal. But by the technical, um, literal laws of the game, if you were to apply them quite literally, then you can see why the ref's given a foul. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm annoyed because once it goes to a VAR check, the more you look at it, the more it looks like a foul. But that tends to be the case with VAR. Any kind of incident that goes to VAR, the longer you look at it, you slow it down. You look at another angle, you slow it down. The more you're going to start to see what you want to see. Um, so, you know, by the time the ref went to look at it, you knew it was pretty much getting ruled out. Um, it, it is really, really annoying, uh, particularly because for me, and, and this is my personal opinion, VAR, fair enough if you want to bring it in. For me, it's being used completely wrong. Completely wrong. I personally would use it more like it's used in tennis. I would give teams a certain number of challenges per game. So if a team thinks a decision is incorrect, they can ask for a VAR review. However, you get like two a game max. That's it. The ref refs it, refs it and if you want a challenge, you use your VAR. That's how I would do it. And the reason I say that is because I don't think it should be VAR isn't a person. VAR is people looking back over an incident to help another person decide whether or not they got the right decision. So either way, the decision is going to come down to what a person thinks, how they interpret it. We have goal line technology for things that are more quantifiable, but this is still going to be about interpretation. So I don't see the point in having a, one person interpret it and then a second person interpret it and then a third person interpret it. Just let the ref on the field ref the game but if a team is so sure that, they, that the ref's got something wrong, then they can call for a VAR check. And if they're wrong, you give the ball to the other team, you lose the advantage. And if you're right, then the decision goes your way. That is that is how I do it. Two, two VAR, and and I limit it to two each team to avoid time wasting. You know, so you're you're pushing for a goal in the 90th minute. And the team calls for a VAR check just to sort of slow your 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 um, your attack. So I'd limit it to two per game. That's it, personally. That's how I do it. Um, but nonetheless, if you are going to have it, I don't. I still think the um, I still think the benefit of the doubt should go to the attacker. I don't see why. VAR is there to rule out goals when that's what we're there to see purely on the basis that the ref might be able to see it a different way. I do think, you know, I understand this idea of clear and obvious, even though clear and obvious isn't exactly clear and obvious itself as a phrase. But just for me, it just allows people to rule out goals based on whatever the fuck they feel like ruling out at any given moment. I just don't think it's consistent. And we saw that it's in, in this game when we saw the Saka penalty incident. Um, we work the ball wide to Ben White. White crosses it in, and Saka's brought down when Suter falls over onto Saka, and they both collapse. Similar impacts of contact. I'd say this was worse personally than than the White one, but you know Suter's what like six five, six six, whatever he is, and he falls on Bakayo Saka, and somehow that's not a penalty. That's not worthy of a bar review. I don't understand. And it's one thing to get to get disparity over the course of a season with multiple refs across multiple games, across multiple months, right? You might get some disparity. I think we all understand that. 
But to get that level of disparity in a single game is nonsensical. And I think that's the thing people really, really struggle with. It's the degree to which game by game there's a disparity and even within a single game there are disparity. You know, if you're gonna rule out the the um if you're gonna rule out the Trossard goal, you give the Saka penalty. If you're gonna say that's not a penalty on Saka, how can you say it's a foul on on Ward? I j- it just makes no sense. Um but hit that's where we are. I think we all remember earlier in the season, um Villa scored, Douglas Luiz scored from a corner. Um, Ramsdale had, Ramsdale was being impeded by a bunch of Villa players. And, you know, Ramsdale got criticised for that. Ramsdale got criticised for, in some quarters, for not being strong enough and not standing up to it. But he had a bunch of players all over him. Um, I remember Spurs getting a goal early in the season where one of their players literally falls over and takes the keeper into the net with him. Keeper barely has time to get up before the ball's raffled in. Goal stood. Don't understand it. Um, so I thought the, the officials for for that aspect of the game were poor. Um, and the reason that's important is because we don't get the Saka penalty. We don't get the Trossard goal. We end up finishing the game 1-0 when it could have been 3, three or 4. And these are the kind of decisions that could, to, that could uh, really make all the difference in a title race. I mean, when you look at recent seasons, you know, City have won the league by as much as one or two points in recent seasons. We lost two points at Brentford due to a refereeing error. Dermot Gallagher's, Dermot Gallagher's come out already and said the Saka's, the Asaka incident should have been a penalty. It doesn't matter because we've got the three points, but we've already lost at least two points this season to bad refereeing decisions. So if we end up missing out on the league by, by, that, by, that, um, by that sum of points, Questions have to be asked, but, you know, no one's going to care ultimately. The The results are just going to show who won the league and that's what it is. But yeah, it's it irks me when I think of the consequence it could have over the course of a season. But of course, it's on us to make sure that we win our games so that those incidents don't matter. And that's what we did today. So, you know, it happened. We move on. I don't really like spending too much time talking about the rest, but I just had to get that off my chest anyway. Um, yeah, so with all of that being said, Trossard was denied a goal, but he was doing well in the full snare role, I thought. He dropped deep well, connected well. Um, as I said, far more um far more like a Jesus replica in what he what he does there. Um, whereas Eddie's more focal point. So I did quite like the idea of Trossard linking well with um, Martinelli as well, because Trossard obviously has that ability to play wide, which he's done so wide left. Um and so he can take up positions wide, which allows Martinelli to drive in centrally, which is what he likes to do. There's certain occasions where you have Shaka on the overlap, Zinchenko um, bringing up the ball in sort of the left attacking half space, which all, which almost allows you to have Martinelli and Trossard as sort of a lopsided front two in certain situations, but it also just means that your attacking players are a lot closer together and so can exchange those passes and and form better combinations. And if the other team do manage to get the ball and spring into the spaces vacated, that's where the likes of Saliba and Gabriel are there to to cover those spaces in behind. And if they're correctly positioned, they're well-placed to do that and they can delay and delay and delay until the rest of the team recovers. And I think we saw a brilliant example of that um, 
in this game where Leicester were breaking and they had a man on the ball on the right-hand side and you just saw wave after wave after wave of red shirts come back on block off any passing lane, any shooting lane. And it was just an example of how well our team works to get back when we lose the ball. Um, and it was really fantastic to see. I'm sure you've all seen that online by now. Um, but yeah, the majority of the first half was in our control. Um, though we weren't getting as many shots off as we needed, but I, I personally wasn't worried by this point. Um, Leicester didn't really play the high line against us. They played against United. I'm guessing they learned their lesson after getting absolutely violated by Rashford. Um, it was the dumbest thing in the world, and I just could not believe that United benefited, particularly as they should have been 2 3 no up against United anyway in the first sort of 20, 25 minutes. But the fact they gave United that high line is just despicable. So for them to, you know... Uh, to, to manage that against us by playing slightly deeper was really annoying. But that being said, as I was saying in the preview pod, Leicester, we forced them into more of a deep block. They're not great at it. They're not great at playing it. Um, their, their players aren't as committed to it. Their forward players aren't great at sort of tracking back. So, yeah, um, they're not as committed to it. They have a couple of central defenders who are, who are somewhat suited to it. But as a whole, as a unit, it's not really what they want to do, so they're not great at it. Um, so I knew that we'd be able to punish them if we just kept the pressure up and kept the pressure up. And and sure enough, that's that's what we did. Um, when halftime came, all that was going through my mind is that there was a disconnect between our dominance and our execution. Um, and I think the stats tell you that. So we have stats on Canon Stats. So thank you to Canon Stats. Um, we had 0.3 expected goals, but they had zero expected goals. We had seven shots to their zero but we had no shots on target and they had no shots on target because of course they had no goals, uh, no shots, but we had 73% possession, you know, 79.7% field tilt, uh, 40 final third entries to their 15. It was, you know, we had 36, uh, zone, um, sorry. We had 36 deep touches to their seven. It was just total and utter domination. So in my head, I was pretty confident that we'd score. And I felt like if we scored one relatively early, we'd score two and then score three and we'd go on to make it a comfortable win. Um, and to be fair, we did get a goal early in the second half. Um, and it was a really good goal, actually. Uh, the brawl was brought forward by Leicester. Zinchenko wins the header. Jorginho sort of over his head knocks the ball forward. Indeed, he exchanges passes with the teammate, but the ball breaks loose. Gabriel uh, gets there ahead of the Leicester man and sweeps the ball forward and it lands in Trossard's sort of running lane. Trossard does brilliant here to jockey the marker. As he does, Martinelli spots space in between the Leicester fullback and centre-back, um, you know, a perfect running lane into the penalty area. So there's good skill from Trossard as he sort of rolls his foot over the ball and then pokes it through the legs of the defender into that space in behind the defence. Martinelli is straight onto it. He started his dying run early. None of the Leicester players match the intensity of his sprint. Indeed, he's trying to make the recovery run, but he's just not going to get there. Martinelli, you know, he bears down on goal, opens the body up like early 2000s on Rhee and just slots the ball past Ward. Now Saka's there on the back post to tap it in if anything goes wrong, but it's not necessary. Ball goes in, 1-0 to the Arsenal and deservedly so. Now it's one of those awkward ones where Martinelli looks like he's picked up some kind of injury just as he scored, so you can't really celebrate the way you want to. Um, and it looks as though indeed he's sort of accidentally stepped on his knee um, just as he slid in to, to score. Luckily, 
Um, no injury, Martinelli looks fine and he could continue. So um, we got the goal, Martinelli's all good. And yeah, we're able to take that lead and, and keep going. And the benefit of getting the lead, the benefit of getting the first goal, and we really do need the first goal in a lot of our games, is it forces the other team to come out and play because they need to get something. They can't just sit back, take a nil-nil or something like that. They've got to come out to try and rescue something from the game because they're losing. We did so well in the earlier parts of the season to start getting early goals. Um, you know, we got early goals against uh, Liverpool, against Spurs, um, got a relatively early one against Palace even, Leicester. We did really well to to not leave it until, you know, the 70, 80th minute to get our first goal. And so we need to get back to doing that. So getting one early in the second half gives us a, a good chunk of time to keep playing our football you know, drag the teams out onto us to create space for us to play our play our ball. Um, one thing as well about that that goal and that, you know, touched on it um, in the first half as well, is the fact that it came from Trossard going to the left, allowing Martelay to run in centrally. They do seem, in the short time we saw them play together, have a good understanding and a good partnership that suits each other quite well in a way that Eddie and Martinelli do not, definitely do not. Um, and that's great because it means that we have an option that allows us to change, um, I suppose, the degree of threat various aspects of our attack has. You know, ordinarily, um, it's that combination of Saka and Odegaard on the right that causes lots of problems. But when Eddie's playing, the left is more decoy runs and, and sort of recycling the ball. But if we can get Trossard as, as a false nine, um, interacting well with Martinelli, that suddenly makes the, the left side of the attack more dangerous and varies our, our modes of attack. So that's another reason why um, this was a really, really good game for Arteta to have tried this. Um, and it may have been enforced just by Eddie needing a rest, but um, sometimes that's the way that's the way it goes. You you don't always you're not always in charge of the reasons that you need to make certain changes, but you make the changes and they come off for you. So today was definitely about that. Um, we continued our dominance with some brilliant passing play in and around the Leicester area. Um, Zinchenko on one occasion managed to use that um, to to advantage. Ben White making a decoy uh, overlapping run. Zinchenko cuts inside. Good shot saved by Ward. Um, Zinchenko, of course, captain to mark the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, Arsenal wanted to show support to him, which is always a uh, always something good to see. You know, when a club wants to support one of their players. Leicester did have a shot um, from Drewsbury Hall. Shot just wide. Looks like Ramsdale had it covered, but it's a decent shot. But otherwise, they really weren't in it. Um, we did have the ball in the net again a second time. Martinelli was fractionally offside. I would have liked to see the lines draw because it, it looked one of those where you think he's offside, but actually he might just be onside. Nonetheless, the goal wasn't given, but um, it was fractional. And those are the kind of small margins that changes the game from being a 1-0 to a 2-0 to a 3-0. And on another day, this is a 3-0 win. You know, if we get the sack of penalty and he puts that away, that's two. And by that point, the floodgates potentially open. So, you know, while it was a 1-0 and the, the, you know, the last few minutes of the game got a little bit tense, on another day, this is very much a, you know, a 3-0, 3-0 battering. And to say that the end got a little bit tense, I think the tension and nerves were more in my head than based on anything Leicester were doing. Leicester didn't look like getting a sniff. I think they had one one point, I think, where Barnes whipped in across 
that nearly got met on the back post, but it was well covered. Really, the tension in my main my mind came from, you know, like the Brentford game where there's a late goal and suddenly a game we could have won gets snatched away from us, particularly where there's been bad refereeing decisions. Um, or, you know, the City game where they waste chance after chance after chance against Forrest, only for Forrest to score at the back post, um, Chris Wood, and it's 1-1. So, yeah, my nerves are coming from the prospect from the prospect that we miss out on the three points because, you know, we, we you know, lose out at the very last minute. But that wasn't to be the case. As dominant a 1-0 win as you're likely to see, um, brilliant away support, we get the points. Arteta can soak up the the adulation for the crowd as can the players and we can leave Leicester with the three points um, temporarily five points clear at the top of the table though Man City were of course able to absolutely annihilate Bournemouth um, in the afternoon kickoff and therefore um, cut the, the lead back to two points that being said we got the win and that's all that matters anyway that's it for part one join me for part two we'll talk about the stats and just some of the talking points before we get out of here for the day Welcome to part two of the Hybrid Club podcast and we're here talking about the 1-0 win against Leicester on the weekend. Um, Stats from the game show we were extremely dominant. Um, However it felt in the game and I think most people that I'm hearing say it felt as as comfortable as, as the stats suggest. For me the eye test suggested it was pretty comfortable you know, 1-0 win. We only had an expected goals of 0.6, but they had an expected goals of zero. Stats from Canon Stats, by the way. Shout out to Canon Stats. Um, we had 10 shots to their one, two on target, nine open play shots to their one, 65.9% to their 34.1, 629 passes to their 325, 508 completed to their 218 completed, 73.4% field tilt and 64 final third entries to their 29. I mean, we had 52 deep touches to their 15, 33 zone 14 touches to their seven. I could go on and on and on and on. It was about as dominant a 1-0 win as you are going to see. And, you know, I think one of the reasons this is really, really good is because, you know, while they were poor against us, and to be honest, I don't feel like we really got out of second gear, maybe third gear in, in moments, um, this is a Leicester side that do have a good attack. Um, you know, Manchester United right now are getting plaudits, you know, for going on a brilliant run and everyone saying they're in the title race and how they're going to do this and they're going to do that. You know, Leicester had 19 shots against United, 15 shots and four goals against Spurs. They managed one attempt against us all game. One. Just the one. So, you know, this is a team that is able to get goals, but we pegged them back and they just, they had no chance. Um, It was a crucial win and a really important clean sheet as well. We've conceded way too many goals lately, you know, conceded the two against Villa, the three against C, you know, conceded against Brentford, conceded against Everton, you know, conceded two against United. Too many goals lately. You know, one of our most important uh, building blocks to our run of form at the beginning of the season was a brilliant defence. Um, and by defence, I don't just mean the defence itself, but the way our team defended. And that's something we needed to get back to. And we managed to do that in this game. So kudos to us. But yeah, 
while Leicester were bad, we also made them look bad. We made them look even worse than they have been, and they haven't been great. Um, but look, the treatment we got from Leicester, from Everton, from Brentford, from Newcastle, this is the treatment we can expect for the rest of the season. Teams will either play in a deep block or we'll force them into a deep block due to the quality of our football. That's the reality. We've got, what, 14 games left in the Premier League, not counting the Europa League, which could add another two, four, six, seven games, um, depending on how deep we go. Um, you know, the majority of the teams, other than probably City, Liverpool, maybe Chelsea, just depending on what Potter does, if Potter's even still there by then. Um, other than those teams, I think we're facing deep blocks in pretty much every other game. Um, forced or otherwise there haven't been many teams this uh, this season who've saw fit to try and go toe-to-toe with us there was Liverpool there was City and that's pretty much it everybody else has either tried to kick us off the pitch go low block um, or we force them into a low block that's the reality so when you think there's 14 games left of the season and only a couple of teams are really going to try and go toe-to-toe with us it's really important that we get used to being able to break down teams who sit deep and try to compress the space centrally and force us wide. And that's why it was such a a good win against Leicester for us to be able to get the goals, keep them out, and yeah, get used to to breaking down teams. And that's without Jesus, um, which, you know, he's a player who's going to be so crucial moving forward if we can get him back fit and if he can stay fit. Um, And there is news coming out of the club that it may be, and I want to check this to make sure I'm not, making things up it may be possible that we can have jesus back before the international break um which would be brilliant he's been out since november with a knee injury that he picked up in the world cup um and so he had to have surgery and you know we knew it was going to be a while before he was back and we were all concerned about what we were going to do we're going to need to go into the transfer market to find a striker to replace him and while we did need to go into the transfer market we didn't need to buy a lifelike striker to replace him we had the likes of eddie trossard's been able to fill in martinelli's been able to pick up some of the goals saka's been able to pick up some of the slack Erdegaard's performances have been um have been really really good despite having a somewhat quiet day um against leicester i think so we've been able to carry the slack as a team but having jesus back for the running i think is going to be crucial um when he's back that's going to be the question I would be surprised if we had him back before Bournemouth, but it would be a nice surprise. But given how long he's been out, I would be amazed if he was back before Bournemouth. I would think he's probably back for the Europa League game or for the league game after the first leg, which, if I'm correct, if if I had to guess, and it's just a guess, this isn't based on any information from coming from anywhere, if I had to guess, I'd be surprised if Jesus was back before Fulham. I'd be surprised. I reckon Fulham's probably the earliest we could see him in the squad. Um, But you never know. And it'd be great if we could. Um, Yeah, we're going to need to get efficient with our finishing. And it's ironic that we talk about getting Jesus back because, of course, he tends to underperform XG. But we know what he does for the rest of the team in terms of his ability to play in tight spaces, draw plays to him, open up space for... for, um, for his teammates and for other people to score, even when he doesn't. Um, but he's also quite streaky. So when he goes on a goal-scoring run, he tends to put together a run of two, three, four, five games where he gets a few goals. So, you know, you can imagine if we manage to get Smith-Rowe back and we have Jesus back, 
and Smith Rowe can put together a few goals and Jesus can put together a few goals, but he can also create space for Trossard, Martinelli, Saka, and Ketia. Suddenly, you know, if he's back with 10, 11 games to go and we can win eight of those, the season looks pretty, pretty doable by then, you know, because like I said, he's not going to be back in time for Everton unless there is a miraculous recovery. He's not going to be back in time for Everton. So he's not going to be back for, you know, game, the, the you know, we've got 14 games left. He's not going to be back for the 14th. He's not going to be back for 13. He's not going to be back. So like I said, he's going to be back for 12, 11, 10 games remaining of the season. So if we can get him fit and firing for the final 10 games of the season, even, you know, if we can get through the likes of Everton, Bournemouth, uh, Leeds, no, Everton, Bournemouth, Fulham, Palace. If we can get through Everton, Bournemouth, Fulham and Palace before Jesus comes back and then Jesus back for the final 10 games of the season, that will be incredible. Um, so we'll see. Um, I'll be I'll be generally looking forward to it. But in the meantime, you know, we've got players who can fill in like Trossard, who did have a really, really good game. Um, stats from Squawker, 100% dribbles completed, 100% tackles won, seven duels won, two shots, one chance created, one assist. And I'm going to say one goal, but it got ruled out. When I talk about sort of a, a replica for Jesus, maybe not to the same standard or quality, that's what I'm talking about. The dribbles, the tackles won, the duels. Jesus was brilliant in the duels, brilliant with the dribble able to create chances, getting shots off. And Trossard gives us that. So long may it continue. Um, have to also give some praise to Jorginho as well. It still feels weird seeing him in the Arsenal shirt. I'm not going to lie to you. It still feels very weird. I'm not used to it. Feel a little unclean. But he's done really, really well since he's been here. Um, I didn't really have any doubts about him being here. I you know, in my mind, he'd be anywhere from fine to good. He might have one or two games where he drops a bit of a stinker, but for the most part, I think he's, he, you know, I, I thought he was going to be good. And he's been more than good. He really has. Um, so party came on late in the game to provide some support when Leicester started to apply a little bit of pressure. Um, but Jorginho has been fantastic. Um, his overall ability is, a you know, to control games, to control the tempo, he can get the ball wide to Saka, play progressive passes, help us maintain pressure. It's really good. You know, he got 14 progressive passes against Villa and 15 against Leicester this weekend. Um, it helps to have um, a player in this position who can help us maintain the threat on the opposition. So while there's always a risk that other teams might be able to transition on us, um, most games we're going to be completely dominant most games we're going to be pushing other teams back and that's where his skill set can really really help us if he can keep this level of performance up whether it's for another 13 games whether he starts or not um we're going to stand in in, in good stead and do really really well also the europa league is coming back next week uh we're going to be playing you know sunday thursday sunday thursday and look saka can't play 90 minutes Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. I know Arteta doesn't want to get it in Saka's head that you know he can't, but the truth is, we were doing we'd be doing Saka a disservice if we tried to play him every single week. But equally, Party isn't going to be able to do that, you know. Um, 
Jesus, when he returns, isn't going to be able to do that. Martinelli isn't going to be able to do that. So having rotational options for all of these players who we know can't play 90 minutes twice a week, every week, is going to be important. So having someone like Jorginho who can play in the Europa League or the league and be equally as effective is going to be massive for us. Um, I mean, Jorginho's game by number, again, from Squawker, 95 touches, the most touches, 68 passes complete, the most... Um, 10 times possession one, again, the most three tackles made, again, the most seven duels one, one deception, one foul. We're talking about a very, very, very controlled midfield performance. And there's that word again, control. Um, read the Ask blog this uh, morning and, you know, he spoke about that word again, um, control. And I think it's just the word on everybody's mind because ultimately it's what we needed to get back. It's what we need to do. It's what we're going to need to do more of. Um, shout out to Arsenal, by the way, 21 years, phenomenal, phenomenal effort. Um, very much the guy, so shout out to Arsenal. Um, but yeah, players like Trossard and Jorginho, we very much signed to help us when the title race is going to get tough. You know, players who are experienced can slot in, can do the job straight away, and they look comfortable. They don't look like they're struggling. They don't look like the pressure's too much. Certainly wouldn't be for Jorginho, even though this is the biggest club Trossard's play for. Um, he doesn't look overawed by it at all. He looks like he's come here to do business, um, which is great for us. So they're top players doing really, really well. And because they've come in and done well, we've not skipped a beat. We've had a little bit of a slump, but that was going to happen because slumps happen. It, it happens. Um, but we managed to avoid the worst of it. So ultimately, we're, we're really well placed. So as I said, if we can get Gabriel Jesus back, we can get um, Smith Rowe back. Suddenly we're in a position where we might, might, might just be able to see a bit of rotation. Um, finally, we might be able to give Saka a rest because Jesus can go right and Eddie can go through the middle. Or, you know, Trossard can go left, Martinelli can go right and Jesus is in the middle. We've got multiple options and we've got interchangeable passes that mean different players can sit down, not just based on who needs the rest, but based on who we're going to face. So there might be some games where we need more of a focal point and Eddie's right there. There might be some games where we need to break down a deep block and Trossard and Jesus maybe can share the minutes at, at the nine. Um, there might be a game where we're going to need to apply pressure rather than running behind. So maybe Trossard on the left rather than Martinelli. We just, we just need different tools to you know unpick different locks. Um, and that's what it's going to be for the rest of the season. Teams are going to throw up problems, throw up challenges, and we're going to need to find ways to solve them. We can't just throw the same solution at every single problem we face. Teams are going to come up with new ways of trying to stop us and we need to be able to unpick those, you know, solve those problems, unpick those locks. And having multiple players who can do different things in different parts of the pitch allow us to do that. And we can do all of that while maintaining pressure and having two phenomenal players in the centre of our defence who can sweep up um, anything else that comes their way. And this is where I give a massive shout-out to... Uh, Gabriel Magalhaes and William Saliba. William Saliba is 21 years old. I feel like I need to say that again. William Saliba is 21 years old. 21. I mean, he's 21 and he's playing with like one of the best centre-backs in Europe. It's crazy. And Gabriel Magalhaes, I've never understood the criticism he got. Never, ever, 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 ever. Still don't understand it. He has rash moments. I'm used to watching Mustafi. Don't talk to me about rash moments. Um... The two of them together with the likes of Zinchenko, Ben White, Tomiyasu, Tierney, we really do have a really solid defensive setup. 
and they did phenomenally well in the preview i spoke about the fact that we were going to need our defense there to sweep up anything that came by they were going to need to have a really good game because we needed to lean into our attack so you know those two guys at the back need to make sure that nothing gets past them and they did exactly that um all of the players are feeling the love i would hope this season all of the players are feeling um appreciated uh, you know that we a lot's been said over the last couple of years about the connection being rebuilt with the fans. Um, so I hope that they are feeling the level of appreciation because if you go back over the Emirates era, you're not going to find a better centre back partnership. I don't think the closest thing in terms of a better centre back partnership is maybe prime Murta Saka and, and Kshelny, and I don't think they were better than these two. Um, as a partnership, I just don't. But equally, I do think that the overall structure of our setup means that they look better. I think if you throw these two defenders in Arsenal teams of old where everyone just piles forward and you just leave these two people to to defend by themselves, I think they, they do a better job of defenders previously, but they still get exposed. But the way our entire team is organized and set up and fights for each other and works hard and covers each other's backs is phenomenal. But those two guys at the back, incredible zinchenko transformational like jesus in attack zinchenko in our defensive midfield absolutely transformational it's just you know he just unlocks another chamber of football with some of the passes he's able to find the intelligence of his passing every now and every now and again he gives the ball away fair enough that tends to happen when you're a player who who's on the ball as much as he likes to be but he's everywhere whatever he, he's a problem solver whatever situation we're in you know, teams are trying to press us. They're trying to, you know, get us to make a mistake. He can find a, he can find a pass that just gets us out of trouble. You know, but he's able to do that in the defensive half space. But he's able then to progress the ball upfield to support the likes of Shaka, Martinelli, whoever's playing at nine. It's it's just incredible. And then Ben White on the right. I'm I'm saying it now. Um, Initially, when we paid 50 million for Ben White, I wasn't thinking, why the hell are we paying 50 million for Ben White? I was thinking, Ben White seems like a solid defender, but is he worth 50 million? And then I saw him play for us in preseason once. And literally, the, dealt, the, the way he dealt with the very first ball that came his way, I turned to my brother and we just looked at each other and went like, yeah, no, nah, he's cold. He's fine. He's going to be fine. <laughs> he's, he's not going to be a problem at all. He looked so solid, so smooth straight away um so the fact that we have a defense that has Saliba Gabriel Magalhaes and Ben White with Sinchenko doing what he does and we can call them the likes of Tomiyasu and um Tierney we we are uh, we are blessed in defense I think so I for one am very grateful for that fact because it has been a long time since that was the case um but it meant that we were able to get that clean sheet we we're able to get that goal get that one nil and move on and move on we shall because of course we have Everton coming up midweek um I think all of us are very much feeling the same way about that game revenge is on the cards we got done by the new manager bounce trip up north etc etc um they're coming to our neck of the woods games at the Emirates and we are really going to need to make sure that we give them the business now since um since Sean Dash has been in charge Everton have kind of done a win one lose one win one lose one kind of vibe um, so they lost on the weekend. I think it was 2-0 to Aston Villa. Um, so they'll be looking to bounce back and get back to winning ways. They have a formula against us that's worked. 
We know what they'll do on set pieces, corners. Um, we know that they're going to go full-blown deep block. They're going to leave absolutely no space in behind. So we are going to need to get creative. Um, I hope we can get an early goal and force them to come out and play. Because as I said, there are very few teams who can play ball with us when we get going. Very few. So I just hope we can get an early goal, whether that's from a set piece, from a penalty, from a long range shot, whatever it is, I just hope we can get that goal. You know, the the, the home crowd will be absolutely rocking for that game. Everyone will be up for it. I know the players will be ready to get that revenge. And if we can get that early goal against them and force them to try and play even a little bit, the game's the game's in our hands. So it's going to be a really, really tough game, a really, really tough game. Uh, it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. So fingers crossed, let's hope we can do it. But anyway, that's all from me. Uh, you know where to find me at C-E-A-S-E-S-A-W-I-S. You know where to find us at the Hybrid Club. Um, yeah, please do leave a review on Spotify wherever else you you are listening to this on that would be greatly appreciated uh feel free to you know like subscribe retweet repost all that good shit anyway people enjoy the rest of your day bring on the midweek fixture against everton let's get our revenge and then roll on to bournemouth the more we can get these games out of the way get the three points apply the pressure we get closer and closer and closer to the possibility of doing the remarkable now till then though speak to you guys in a bit have a good one in a bit